And happy Thursday to you, Lima Land. Welcome inside the Basement Doctor Studio for today's edition of Cookie and the Monster. I'm John Cook. My partner is Garrett Seawright. And however you are choosing to join us today, whether we're on your radio at 93onthefan.com or on the free 93onthefan app, you had lots of choices. You chose us. We appreciate you for making time for us. It is a gorgeous day outside today as we make our way inside the Basement Doctor Studio. Sunny and 76 inside the Basement Doctor Studio today. Not so sunny. And I don't care what the temperature is outside because it's... It's a balmy 64. Balmy 64. Uh, it's a... Uh, it's a humid 64. We're, we are experiencing the spring that we so longed for here, here recently. You could argue that. In our area. So we'll, uh, I guess, take it and roll with it. It is what it is. But it is a another Thursday, another day on the sports calendar with news from last night, more NBA action where... I, I, we'll talk about it later in the show a little bit, but... I guess the Celtics and the Heat kind of looked a little bit more last night like what I anticipated I the entirety say, of the series might have been. I was going to say, I was like, how are, how are you scoffing over there? You called, last night was what you called, man. That was, ugh. Yeah, but, ugh. but it is, even knowing that it was going to be difficult, I did not enjoy postseason <laughs> I basketball don't, I don't want to be right. for a lot of my youth. Uh, while I, I did enjoy the greatness that was the Chicago Bulls, and uh, as much as I hated watching who the Detroit Pistons were, it was hard not to respect their level of success. I didn't want basketball to ever be that again. I have been one of those voices for a long time saying I, I like to the game to be about talent and skill, and I, freedom of movement is a corny catchphrase, buzzword term in basketball circles, but I like it. Um, and I don't dislike physical play. That's, that's not my issue. I've said this before. I thought Brad Stevens was a phenomenal basketball coach when he was at Butler because you would have never watched his teams play and said what their opponents all said after they played him, and that is, damn, they're physical. Because when they moved their feet and played defense, you had to play through their body. But they did move their feet, show their hands, play great defense, and made you play through their bodies, and for that reason, they were very physical. But it wasn't extremely ugly. Their national title game against UConn notwithstanding, that was a travesty. Uh, but I don't enjoy the game when it is about grabbing and holding and wrestling with people. And I have coaching friends who will disagree with me on that because once upon a time, I probably would not have been the guy saying this. But for the last 20 years, I have been saying that I, I, it's, it's a skilled game. It's, it's a flow yeah. and movement game. And for a lot of the 90s, it was about wrestling. And I see high school games now that are more wrestling matches than some college games and I loved when the college game went to the rule that said if you put two hands on somebody, it's a foul. I thought that was probably a good rule. The NBA supposedly has, has instituted a similar thing, and I have watched for the last couple of nights, and somebody is coaching up the Miami Heat because they are really well coached, but they are being coached up to grab people <laughs> and hold people. And so I, I don't enjoy being right about that. But it did look like what I expected the series might look like. I'm a little disappointed in this fact. Because if I had to tell you who I'm rooting for in the series, I don't know that I could. I would say that I lean slightly toward wanting to see Boston advance because I think they're the better team. But I'm a big Eric Spolstra fan, and I'm a big quote-unquote heat culture fan. I really am. I mean, hell, they made me root for Duncan Robinson, and I don't root for people that went to Michigan. But that's a whole Division Three tie-in, too. The, the issue for me is, is that I just wanted them both to be whole. Miami's not whole. Butler's not healthy. There's a lot there that's disappointing because I think it would have been a spectacular yeah. series had they been whole. And it may still end up being a seven-game series. Hell, who knows? But 
what I saw last night was the first time in the series where I thought, yeah, that's what I think this series is. Is if Boston takes reasonably good care of the basketball, doesn't make really dumb decisions, and gets good shots. Even if they don't make a high percentage of them, they're not going to let Miami have enough good shots. Is that... Is that the style, though, that Miami needs to play almost? It is right now. Like, you just got to muck it up and make it a fest. It absolutely is right now. There's no question it is. And maybe it is in general. But they have great depth. And it's been challenged to the point where they don't have a lot of options right now. The injuries and the situations have taken it. I mean, well, Udonis Haslam's on that bench, John. They can pull him off. And <laughs> yeah, and he's going to be locked securely right there until they need to fight. That's, that's true. But because they have the depth, they have been able to, to sustain and get through whatever this is and be competitive. A lesser team in terms of depth would have folded long ago. But they're not whole, and, and because they're not, they're, they're not as, I think, as they certainly aren't as fun to watch and, and don't have as many options offensively. But I'll tell you what, and I didn't plan on starting the, the show this way. I just was going to touch on it uh, because I really wanted to say, hey, the Reds have scored 13 runs today, and it looks like they're going to win against the Cubbies. Well, and I'll give it time. I know. I'm probably, probably putting the cart <laughs> before the horse time. a little bit. But Boston is interesting to me because I, wa- I love basketball and I love a lot of things about the game, and I'm very old school, and I get made fun of a lot for this because I have embraced the three-point thing and the analytics and all that. But at my heart, I am a traditional guy. I really love two things in basketball. I love a really skilled technician in the post, and I miss that. Second thing I really love is a guy that's an absolute, pure, just you watch him play and you say, now that, that there, that's a point guard. I love seeing those kind of guys. Boston doesn't have either part of that equation that I just described. They don't have... Nobody really uses a, a, a technical, skilled, back-to-the-basket post player much anymore, right. although smaller players are getting to be better at it. I, I watch Boston, and I think, okay, who... who Marcus Smart's their point guard, I guess. I guess. I mean, you know, and I, I line up Marcus Smart, and I think, okay, Steve Nash... Steph Curry a little bit, but Isaiah Thomas, the original Isaiah Thomas, uh, you know, and I'm thinking, Marcus Smart plays the same position those guys do. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 but, you know, Brad Stevens was one of the first people to talk about positionless basketball, and that's also become all the rage. And I laugh at it because people want to say that positionless basketball means you don't have positions, and it's BS, because in the NBA, you're always going to talk about who your center is, and who's right. playing center, and who your forwards are, and we'll get into the all-NBA vote a little bit later, and somewhat how that works. The, the point, I guess, to, to positionless basketball is we, we overestimate what that means, and I think sometimes we misunderstand it. At least some people do. Yeah, P- on its surface, it, it means one thing, but what I think he means is another, right? Well, because I, th- I, I think what it comes down to for what he means is we want a whole bunch of skilled size. Right. Well, and I was going to say, I heard Colin Cowherd yesterday actually saying that his, uh, his solution to fixing the NBA is take away corner threes. Have the have the three point line end where it At starts, the break. Well, yeah, and just take it straight to the and you can't shoot a three from the corner. And he said, you know, I don't want I don't want to watch big shoot threes. Well, I do because that means you've worked at it. Like yeah. if you're seven foot two and you can stroke it from three, that's that means you've put in work to do that. I, I wish and that's impressive. It, I I wish and. New age basketball fans, you, you may have to Google this. I so wish Akeem Olajuwon had come along in this era. 
because I think Akeem Olajuwon would have been the exact same absolute craftsman in the low post, and he'd have been able to shoot the three. He would have made himself able to shoot the three, and he'd have been a guy who could step out and do the pick-and-pop stuff. He could, You could isolate him in the post. I think Akeem Olajuwon, had he come along in a different era, might have been able to, to be the guy that we say, you, there's literally nothing you can do with this guy. He, he would have been... Right, he's a, he's a 1990s Giannis. Yeah, yeah, he wouldn't have quite had the handle, like but he probably, probably would have sh- got there. Shooter. Would have been a better shooter, although Giannis may ha- maybe has time. Um, I-, I just really like it, and Boston doesn't have anybody they throw it to down there. They don't have a point guard, but they've got a whole bunch of size. Every position is big. they got a lot of length. Everybody's got skill, perimeter skill, and, and everybody can guard. Like They don't have any problem switching everything. But they don't have to switch if they choose not to. They they have used some drop coverage and some things that I think have been interesting depending on who the screener is. And they've really, what they got hurt by with Bam Adebayo, they've done some things to take that away by how they guard when he's the screener. I think it's all fascinating. I just wish Miami was 100% healthy. But I started this to say that the Celtics are coming closer to the vision that I think Brad Stevens had for basketball maybe seven, eight, ten years ago because they don't really have positions on the floor, but they don't have to because they're all pretty similar size and they can all guard everybody on the floor and they're all really, really skilled. And you t- and I talked about Miami's depth. Boston's got great depth also. But positionless basketball is an overarching topic, right? Like sure. You're building your roster that way, but you're also teaching – your players, this is how we play, not this is the position you play. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, and then when you when you operate from a positionless quote-unquote mindset, then you you attack weaknesses and you play matchups and you and you that's what you do. Um I'm I'm talking and it would sound as though I believe Miami's got no shot in the series. I think Boston's going to win. I think they're going to win the next game. But this series more than any other I've probably watched in a long time would would lead me to believe that because I feel so comfortable saying that, it's likely they'll get their ass kicked. Uh, maybe it'll end up being a seven-game series. I, I, at this point, because of the health more than anything else, I just think if Boston advances, they've got a better chance of winning in the NBA Finals than if Miami advances, and I want to see a really super competitive NBA Finals. At this point, I'm not ready to say that Golden State would be my pick. I want to watch them a couple times again, but it'd be a fascinating matchup for, for Boston against Golden State because of the different personnel that Golden State has in comparison to who Boston has already had to play and defeat. So that was a little different show, start to the show than I had planned for, but I, it's my sport and it's in my wheelhouse and I get excited talking about it. So we got to get to our first Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. When we come back, we'll have our VonsJewelry.com Twitter poll questions for the day and a little one-word segment later in the program as well. Stick around for all that after this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Welcome back inside the basement. Dr. Studio, 419-227-9393-1888-894-ESPN, 888-894-3776. Segment two means it is time to get to our VonsJewelry.com Twitter poll questions. Got three of them up, at 931TheFan on Twitter. Brought to you by Vons Diamonds and Jewelry, where Lima celebrates love. Online at VonsJewelry.com. Dramatic pause. Uh, we are asking, which Ohio State start time announced today is the most interesting? Three games announced today. They'll play Arkansas State at noon. They'll play Rutgers at 3.30 and Tulidoo at 7 p.m. Primetime start for Ohio State Toledo on Fox. First time in Toledo football history. They will play a primetime game on national TV. We say that again. That just that statement right they, there. Toledo's played 117 games on national TV. Never in primetime and never on network TV. But Toledo will play Ohio State at 7 p.m. on Fox. That'll be the first time in school history that they will play a 
primetime game on network TV. Can you get with our research staff here during the next break, and can you ask them to try and generate for us a list of schools that have never, never played, played a primetime network football game on television? I, it's probably not long. That's a staggering statement to make, and I'm not here to tell you that I believe. Is that an indication of what people truly believe of Toledo football, or is that an indication of just actual football snobbery on the networks? Yes. <laughs> there we go. I think it's a Perfect. little. I think it's a little of both. I think, I, I think it's a little of, but like never. And Toledo's never had. And excuse me if I, in in, in modern times that that's not fair. But in mod, <laughs> in modern times, like you know, Northern Illinois had a run in the MAC that they were great. Western Michigan had a run that they were great. Bowling Green had a run that they were great. Miami with Ben Roethlisberger, a lot of like Kent State went eleven and one that one year, and then Daryl Hazel went to Purdue and was miserable. Um, Toledo hadn't had really that that run. Like they they didn't have a three year stretch where they were ranked every year and were playing. That's know, that's, a, that's true at a Big Ten school or anything like that. I think that's part of it. Like they've been consistently pretty good, but they've never been, you know the. 16th ranked team in the country knocking on the door for a New Year's Six game. And I think that might that might be where it, it do, comes into play at. We, we don't have any clue who's calling that game yet, do we? Is that, that going to be it's, Clatt? And, I can't imagine. Like, I, I imagine it's... Because if, if it is Clatt and, and Gus... No, it's the same day as uh, Oklahoma-Nebraska. Okay. so, so Because I want to know how long it's going to take some idiot announcer to make the statement that well, this football program's never been in this spot before. They won't be prepared for the moment. Like, that matters. Like, that, it's going to be too big because the program's never been here before. It don't matter if the program does it every year. Those kids have never done it as a collective group before. Right. If the program did it two years ago last year, and, and by the way, in, in the shoe, right. it's going to yeah. be a big deal. I just don't want to hear somebody say, well, Toledo's never been here before, and you can see it, you can see it in these players. That that that's oh, that right. stuff drives me nuts. No, it's just the hyperbolic statements like that drive me crazy. Ohio State just has better better players. They're leading the vote by a large margin. Yeah, ninety two percent say Toledo at seven o'clock is the most interesting kickoff time announced. In that same vein, should colleges have more say in start times of their football schedules? Eighty percent say yes. Well, they, yes, they certainly should, and they are never going to again. And that's the that's the problem because no, you don't. I, I I know what time the Cleveland Browns will kick off for fifteen of their seventeen games right now. We know five of Ohio State's twelve. <laughs> I know that Ohio State's going to play Bowl or Boston College in on September thirteenth, two thousand thirty six. But I don't know what time they're going to play Wisconsin on September 24th. Seems to be some... And and I don't know how you win that back. I don't know if the Big Ten says to... Like, they're negotiating contract deals right now. I don't know if they say, hey, listen. Our schools are going to set what time they want to play. And you all figure it out between yourselves of which ones you carry. All right? If, Wisconsin, if Ohio State wants to play Wisconsin at 8 o'clock on Saturday night, perfect. Great. We're going to do it. Fox, ABC, Apple TV Plus. I don't care. Whoever you, you guys decide which one you want, but that game's going to be at 8 o'clock. I don't think that's un, uh, unreasonable. Yeah, and, and I will demonstrate my clear lack of business understanding in, in this realm when I say this because 
I, I agree with what you're saying a thousand percent. Is there anything to be said for a network saying, okay, we've paid you this ungodly sum of money, so we're going to dictate some things. It's, it's not as if the leagues have the ability to say, no, 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 you're not dictating that part, and we still get our money. I, I 100% get that. I do. Although I think that's true. I do think you should almost, like, can you get us somewhere in there like, hey, we got veto power for one game a year or whatever, where, for instance, Ohio State had kind of been adamant that they wanted to play Rutgers at noon because that's going to be homecoming, and they wanted to have homecoming at noon. Well, they're going to play at 3.30. If you really want to bang the table and say, no, I'm not, for instance, if somebody said, we want Ohio State-Michigan to be on Black Friday at 8 o'clock at night, I would prefer to not play it at that time. Here's my veto card. We ain't doing it. There just seems to be, at minimum, can't you set the schedule? I would think now. And, and, and if if you risk that, hey, we you know Fox says ah we think Iowa State's going to be really good this year. We're going to put them up big noon kickoff two times and blah, and then if they suck, well, I guess it sucks to suck and, and not not get this correct. But I think the sport is better if. I don't know the kickoff time for something until six days ahead of time. Real difficult to make any plans for that. Well, and the question you ask is how do they get that back? And I I think there are probably some really smart people that could offer some opinions as to how that happens. But I think anybody would tell you that even if you can see a roadmap for how it happens, it's just not going to. And that sucks. Without losing probably a significant chunk of money. Yeah. In our final poll question, at 93 on the fan on Twitter, sadly... The actor Ray Liotta died today at the age of 67. We're asking, which is the better Ray Liotta movie, Field of Dreams or Goodfellas? <sighs> I think I could argue with myself that Field of Dreams isn't a Ray Liotta movie. It's a Kevin Costner movie that Ray Liotta happens to be in. I think that's fair, but I, I would also say that that's true of virtually everything Ray Liotta has ever been in. It's somebody else's movie, and he's just in it. I think Goodfellas is, a, it, Goodfellas is Ray Liotta's movie. I think it should be, but I think Joe Pesci stole it. Uh, well, <laughs> I think Joe Pesci and Bobby De Niro are in a Ray Liotta. How do you think Bobby De Niro feels about that 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 posited theory probably of yours? Does, right probably there. doesn't like it much. <laughs> Gonna guess doesn't enjoy that sentence. You know, I I have always said that there there just aren't a lot of people. I, I've made reference on here before that my wife thinks that Owen Wilson is just annoying. Wow, wow, yeah, wow. and wow. and and it's one of those actors that she just doesn't like to watch on the screen. Ray Liotta is kind of that for me. Really. I'm just not a big fan. I mean, I, I like Goodfellas a lot. <laughs> I, I like Goodfellas as well. And he's had a couple of other things that he was in. I was surprised that he had some more range as an actor than I thought he had. Than just Italian tough guy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he does he does bad guy really well and a lot like creepy, dark oh, bad got, guy really a, well. He's got a creepy but, laugh. But oh, but he's got, But he also has some comedic side to him that's not as bad as you would assume it would yeah. be for that guy. I just... I, I can't tell you that I've ever watched anything that Ray Liotta was in that I don't have an easy time seeing somebody else in his role and being much happier that they were there. Not one movie. Goodfellas. I, I, I can... Who I, are you replacing Ray Liotta and Goodfellas with? Joe Pesci. Yeah, Joe, Joe Pesci, Pesci probably would, would, would have jumped to mine, but I, I don't know. I mean, there's... Uh, Al Pacino would be great yeah. in Ray Liotta's role. See... Spectacular. So, my... This is so not fair to Joe Pesci, but my generation, when you watch Goodfellas and you see Joe Pesci in this, the role that he's in in Goodfellas, it's like, you mean to tell me the dude from Home Alone is 
is a is a Italian mob tough guy. It's hard to buy, man, because Joe Pesci is uh is is one of the sticky bandits from Home Alone to people who are thirty five and under. And then you get up, you grow up, and you're like, "Mom, is it okay if I watch a movie with, like with a bunch of dudes who kill people and do blow and and like, yeah, that's fine." And you're like, "Wait a second, one of the sticky bandits from Home Alone." Yeah. But now we're whacking people. We are sidetracked here because I I I'm with you seeing Joe Pesci as a real mobbed up tough guy. My <laughs> clown to you. <laughs> but uh, it's it's an easier transition from one of the. Wet bandits or sticky bandits to that than it is for because me to me Joe Pesci is always Leo Getz. Have you seen Lethal Weapon three? No. Oh my God! I, now we are up to about the fourth movie that I've mentioned that you've not seen. Oh yeah. If you've not watched Joe Pesci and Lethal Weapon three, Lethal Weapon, I, 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 didn't, I didn't. I don't think I made it to Lethal Weapon two. You, you got to Google Leo Getz. Just Google the drive-through because there's a there's a phrase that Leo Getz coined that is absolutely spot on with American dining experiences. When you use the drive-through, we we couldn't play the YouTube stuff through <laughs> through through the, through the sound. There's not a chance. You got. But when I see him go from Leo Getz to the guy he is, what's what? I don't even know his character's name in, in Goodfellas. That's terrible. Ah, uh, that's 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 a really bad deal for me. Another guy with a little more range as an actor than I would have expected that he might have. Joe Pesci has it as well. I, R.I.P. to Ray Liotta. Just never been that big of a fan. All right, I'm going to agree to disagree no, on no, that. No, I, 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 he didn't do like he he did worked all the time, did movies all the time, and I don't know that any of them are like, oh man, that's spectacular. Other than goodfellas and field of dreams and 62 percent say goodfellas is better than than field of dreams the, uh, those 62 percent are right i mean he, he, oh, didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. he didn't speak for a lot a lot of field of dreams he was just wearing an oversized baseball uniform and looking with a, some kind of goofy grin on his face yeah pretty much did it well Th- yeah things play, went well play, played play the role well shoeless joe went, went pretty well <laughs> Oh, 5.45? That's our vote time, yes, right? Yes, sir. You can vote you, till 5.45. At 9 through on the fan on Twitter, vote until 5.45. Good poll questions today. Get out and vote for those, and we're going to take a non-jiggies jeweler timeout. When we come back, we'll play a little one word. Maybe throw in some topics that uh, you might not be all that up to speed on, but we'll we'll see where it takes us. One word after this non-jiggies jeweler timeout on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 the fan. Back inside the basement, Dr. Studio here on Lima Sports Radio, 93 on the fan. John Cook, Garrett right with you. We are Cookie and the Monster. Just a little update. Red Legs now have 15 runs on the board. They are trying to take a big bite out of that negative 73 run differential <laughs> that they have this season. Did you realize, did you even understand that once the Reds got playing a little better baseball, they now have the second worst run differential in their own division? I did not know that. In their own division. This, this is a great story to tell because the Chicago... Excuse me, the Pittsburgh Pirates are in third place in a division in which the Reds are in fifth place. But the Cubs have a negative 83 run differential, and the Reds have a negative 73 run differential. That sounds about right. It tells me that the Pirates being in third place for very much longer is not sustainable. <laughs> I think that's, that's generally what that says to me, although I might be completely crazy. The Chicago Cubs are actually between the Reds and the Pirates, and the Cubs have a positive run differential for the year. They did when today started. They're not going to have one. This one's over. <laughs> uh, the Cubs have thrown five pitchers today, and four of them have given up multiple earned runs. That's Good how it's going today. Efficiency, the name of the game for the Reds. They 15 runs on 15 hits. In today's ballgame, they have committed an error, but they lead the Cubbies 15-5, to and that one is now in the... 
getting ready to go to the bottom of the eighth, I believe. So I, I, yeah. I digress. Yeah. I've, I've yeah. sidetracked us here. I love one word. We're going to play one word. Set it up. One word. I give the topic. John gives the word. I think that's it. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. That's simple. <laughs> we will discuss. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't just go, <laughs> yep. Yeah, this would be a quick segment. All right, Don, you got your timeout now. Uh, so, one word. Josh Donaldson apologized today to Rachel Robinson after using Jackie at Chicago White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson. Apologized, but to Rachel Robinson today. One word. Hollow. Fair. That is absolutely, a, that's a fantastic word. And I, and I wanted I wanted to say hypocritical. Because I, I don't believe that people who say they didn't do anything wrong should then offer an apology. Also, and if you're going to say that you didn't do anything wrong, then why apologize to someone who is, at best, an ancillary figure in the entire situation? And I can't imagine that Rachel Robinson feels moved in any way Yeah, I, by the apology. I, Hollow. You know, by seeing the statement today, I, I doubt she goes, oh, thank you. Thoughtful, young fella. <laughs> yeah, like, I just, I don't... I don't buy it. I, w- I would say forced. Yeah, that's, almost. that's a, forced it, that is a good word. Somebody said, I don't, okay, I don't care if you apologize to Tim Anderson, but you have to apologize to the family of Jackie Robinson. And I imagine that's a much more palatable apology to give. Like, I, I would think. Okay. But, all right. Yeah, that's fine. I, 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 no matter how mad you are, I think you could see somebody saying, I think you should apologize to the family of Jackie Robinson. And you go, all right, that makes sense. The way that he set things up in all of his arguments prior to the apology, though, would lead me to believe that if he really believed what he was saying in his own words, he would say back to whomever's telling him to apologize, don't you understand that I'm actually showing greater respect for Jackie Robinson right. and his memory by being bothered by a person comparing himself? I, I am, and we do not need to get sidetracked on this topic, but I am actually surprised at the backlash to this entire incident, there is a wide range of opinions, very wide range of opinions yeah. from really significant opinion makers who are African-American who don't want to hear this called racist and don't want to hear it referred to in that nature or to have it tagged with that label. And, and there are just as many who believe that it is. And Stephen A. Smith had a very outspoken opinion earlier this week, but we, we heard Bart Scott and you know on our airwaves there's just a very wide range of opinions on this, and if if what Josh Donaldson said for his initial explanation is the legitimate truth, and that's truly what he meant to say and what he meant and how he feels, then his apology is absolutely forced. Your word is spot on. I th- I feel like I need to preface. I-, I believe firmly that I can't tell somebody what is and isn't racist because I'm never going to experience that. I, I'm not going to know what that feels like. I don't know that it's racist as much as it's intentionally disrespectful. Fair. Like, you are absolutely being intentionally disrespectful to another player. It just so happens that that other player is black, and you're using 
the first black player in Major League Baseball history's name yeah. to be intentionally disrespectful. Right. You're invoking the name of a black icon to somehow level a, a, a form of insult at a current black player. And, and I realize that that's not a great defense. That Josh Donaldson can't say, I'm not, I wasn't being racist. I was being intentionally disrespectful to a black man. <laughs> like, that's not, that's not a great defense. But, I get but the that. funny part is that's, that's essentially, was it, I think, was it Bart Scott? I think so. You said, yeah. my job is to get in my opponent's head right. and get him off his game any way I can. That's my job. But I, I think there is a line. I think there are certain <laughs> words you can't use. Certainly. Uh, maybe not can't, but sh- definitely shouldn't be in your vernacular. I, I don't know. Second topic, one word. Jason Tatum wants, quote, some rules, end quote, around all NBA voting. And I got I to gotta do one word. My initial response to that was typical, but I'll, I'll save that one. I, it, it's modern. It's modern because the all NBA vote now is impactful throughout the league in a way that it never has right. been. And, and, and so, that was his kind of his overarching topic was uh, he was asked about being named first team all NBA and said day late and a dollar short, huh? Because he didn't get the super max contract right. that he could have. Yeah. The, 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 and for those that don't know, I don't know all of the specifics, but being voted to an all NBA team, first, second, or third team, is what aligns you with the ability to be to ask for or earn a Supermax contract. Your ability to get paid at the highest level possible is impacted by your being named or not being named to an All-NBA team. And Jason Tatum was not a year ago. He missed out on the All-NBA. This year, he's first team All-NBA, which, say that out loud just for a second. Just, just again, the All-NBA is what it is, and it's really not not about the five best players or the 15 best. It's, it's by position. So, again, just understand that and love Jason Tatum, but he's first-team All-NBA when guys like Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant, and Steph Curry aren't first-team All-NBA. That, that's a... That's, I don't know. That's just a wow. <laughs> and I don't know, if is there a way to... I don't think All-NBA teams should be tied to be your ability to have Supermax super contracts. I don't think it should be because it's still mostly media people doing the voting. Right. And th- some of those, all of those guys are going to take it, the, the responsibility of the vote seriously in, in a way. But are they going to be, do they understand the weight that their vote carries? And is it fair to put that on guys that write about it for a living? Well, the, the, I think the bigger problem is, is you have the, the, the writers, TV, radio personnel have conceivably more and better relationships with front office people than they do players. So it would be real easy to be fed, hey, I'll keep you in the loop. You can save me a certain amount of cash towards the salary cap. I, don't, I, I think it's vague. What's your solution? Is it just, hey, the, we, there's a vote for the top 15 players every year, and that's what gets you a Supermax deal? Because I, I, I would agree, hey, you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't be tied to a Supermax deal over an arbitrary vote by folks who cover the league. Because Joel Embiid's second in the, in the MVP voting, but on second team All-NBA, because Nikola Jokic's first team All-NBA, that he plays the same position, I don't know that that's right, and I don't know if the, in the grand scheme of things it's that's fair that it should cost, you know, Jason Tatum last year cost $40 million or whatever over the course of his contract because he didn't get that arbitrary vote. Right, I, and and I don't have an answer. My, my I, I am not a fan of, of having a complaint and not having an offered solution. I don't like being that person, but right. there, I, 
I don't like the way it operates right now because of what you just said. To be All-NBA, you have to be voted in at a position. So to be first-team All-NBA, there are going to be two guards, two forwards, and a center. Even though we want to play positionless basketball, (laughs) we're going to determine All-NBA as two guards, two forwards, and a center. First team, two guards, two forwards, and a center on second team, two guards, two forwards, and a center on third team. And players can be eligible at multiple positions. The league defines for you where you can vote for certain people. So you can be considered a center or a forward, a forward or a guard, and that improves some people's chances. It it hampers other people's chances. Um, I don't like the voting being something that that determines your eligibility for a certain contract level, but I don't know that there's a greater answer. Is is, Is the better answer just, hey... It's up to the teams, and you let the executives make the decisions, and they can give a, a max contract or a super max to whomever they choose, and, it, and yeah. it's not dictated by any sort of rule. I know there are lots of people that say they don't like that because, and I think largely, again, could be wrong, don't care. I, I like, I'm like, i fine with being wrong, but I think largely that is an indication to me that we're just saying, uh, you have to protect me from myself. Right. <laughs> you, this, this rule set up, protect me as a decision maker with this these enormous sums of money. Put, put some guardrails in place for me. Give me a safety net. Yeah, because... Which is... I mean, that's why the the NBA makes you use your first-round draft pick every other year because the Cleveland Cavaliers owner before Gordon Gunn was like, screw it, I'll trade my picks. I don't care. And they were a laughing stock year after year after year, and they went, we got we got to figure this out. You know, can we get a safety net for owners who are too stupid to figure it out? Yeah. So that's kind of been precedent in the NBA of like, help me stop me. <laughs> yeah. And our final one word... Ohio State's playing Toledo at 7 p.m. Lucrative? <laughs> that is a good word. Give me all that. Fox. Now, that could have said at 1 p.m., 3 p.m., 4 a.m., or 7. It doesn't matter because Toledo's going to make some cheddar. Right. And, and, and the, the Fox payment is, you know, is what, it's lucrative for all parties. What, what's Toledo going to make for that? That's a great question. I don't, I mean. Speak for a moment. Yeah, uh, well, well I. I, I'm assuming it's half a million. I maybe it's higher than oh, that. Yeah, it's, it's at least a million guaranteed. I just wondered if they would do that. One point eight million. One point eight. So the other word I would have said for this is Ohio State and playing Toledo at seven p.m. I would have just said. I would like the word to be semi-annual. <laughs> I, I would like for Ohio State to play BG Toledo. Akron, Kent State, Miami. Put them on a rotation. Uh, you know, and, and, and every other year it's either BG or Toledo, and then you can squeeze the other ones in there how, however it works. But every other year it's one of Toledo or BG. Just because, I'm again, as a basketball guy, I watch the Carolinas and the Kansases of the world do this for their in-state mm-hmm. smaller schools to help them financially, to draw in crowds, to, to create a little buzz, but also give those programs a little bit of a boost because they're not really competing with them anyway. Right. Same thing applies here. Every football scenario that you can come up with for any Mac school that's in Ohio or so semi-annual would have been the word I chose, but lucrative just seems to me to be the absolute right answer. I, I was going nondescript. Okay. Like it's just sort well, of... Well, the time with the yeah, time slot, sir. Like, okay. All right. Does that move the needle for anybody? It, 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 oh, really, I wanted to get super snarky and say, oh, this must be a big game now because it's at night because I'm on my, my kick of like big... <laughs> just like big game. I saw today, Fox announces... Texas, Alabama is going to be at noon. Oklahoma, Nebraska is going to be at noon. And people, Oklahoma, Nebraska is one of the best rivalries from the 1970s through the 1990s. And you're going to put it at noon. Big games should be at night. 
Oklahoma Nebraska is going to be a big game if you play that some of be at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning. <laughs> Putting it at 8 o'clock at night does not make it bigger. And I will die on that hill. God, does that piss me off. It does not get like, – the game is either big or it is not. The game doesn't get bigger by the start time. Holy cow, Ohio State Toledo, big time game. No, it's not. All right, I'm done. So we need to take a break. I gotta let my man cool off a little bit. Whew. Don Jiggy Zuler, timeout straight ahead. We come back, we'll revisit this whole all NBA topic just briefly. Didn't know if you knew who made the all NBA teams this year, and we'll chat about who made all NBA and if there are any surprises. And I I think I already mentioned one. Yeah. <laughs> Jason Tatum being there, not necessarily something that wasn't deserved, just very surprising when you consider some of the names that weren't first team all NBA. So we'll take this this break. Our Don Jacobs Jeweler timeout. Come back and have that conversation before we get to uh, the bottom of hour number one. Man, it's going quick. Thanks for joining us and stick around so we, we can talk all NBA and then get back to more pertinent football conversation. I am fascinated <laughs> by what you said about the Browns. And on our show sheet, you people can't see this bad radio, but we will we will converse a little later in the program about the Browns and, and what uh, what was a possible move for them in the Baker Mayfield situation. That, that, that's going to be a fascinating conversation. We will talk about that with you after this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout on Lima Sports Radio, 93 on The Van. Welcome back inside the basement. Dr. Studio Cookie and the Monster here on Lima Sports Radio, 93 on The Fan. I'm John Cook. My partner is Garrett Seawright. And we spent a little bit of our last segment on one word chatting about Jason Tatum's declaration that he thinks there should be some rules put in place around how you can and what the parameters are for voting for all NBA and we, and we spoke a little bit briefly about the fact that it, it does impact if you are chosen to an all-NBA team, first, second, or third team, then it impacts your ability and your, to earn or your eligibility to earn a max or a super max contract. This year's 21-22 all-NBA first team includes Giannis Antetokounmpo, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Devin Booker, and Jason Tatum. Three things about this year's first team all NBA deal. Okay. The first thing that stands out to me is again, Giannis, Luca, and Jokic are the top three vote getters. That's forward, guard, and center, because you have to have two guards, two forwards, and a center on each team. Giannis, Luca, and Jokic being the top three vote getters in this year's all NBA first team voting. Maybe this is one year like many, and I haven't chosen to talk about it a lot, but that's why the NBA draft is such a crapshoot and why I get so blown away by the number of college players that opt to leave early and go into the draft at whoever's giving them their advice because it is a two-round draft. And outside of the lottery, there are no guarantees, and the deeper you get into the first round and virtually throughout the second round, qualified, and I put that in air quotes, American college players who left school early are going to go undrafted because those guys, guys like Giannis and Luka Doncic and Nikola Jokic, are going to get drafted, and none of us know who they are. It's for damn certain that the people that are advising American college players who are leaving after their freshman and sophomore years to go pro and don't get drafted, they don't know who those guys are. And for everyone that I just named as a first-team All-NBA guy who a lot of American basketball fans would have never heard of, 
There are as many of those guys in the draft that get drafted and get stashed over in Europe and they wait a few years to bring them. It's just, that's, that's point one, is look at the All-NBA first team this year. None of those three guys would have been on anybody's draft board as an American college player's highest competition to the average fan. That's one thing. The second thing is, Jason Tatum is listed as a forward. Mm. And he was probably eligible as a guard as well. Probably was eligible as a guard as well. Devin Booker's a guard. Yes. Nikola Jokic, I guess, is a center. Giannis really doesn't have a position. Luka really doesn't have a position. And Jason Tatum, I, I don't know. I guess he's a forward. Can I ask you a question that you can't probably answer? In, I, I love those kinds because I try in anyway. Three minutes in. Yeah. Uh, why Why was it just widely accepted that Magic Johnson was a point guard at six foot nine, but LeBron James is a forward? I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say part of that is because that's the way LeBron wants it. Or wanted it. I don't know. Wants it. I, I, He's I a think point guard, I, right? I, he absolutely is a point guard on nearly every team he plays on. And yet, if you say he's a point guard, I don't know. People get somewhat up in arms. He's not a point guard. He's six foot nine. Well, Magic, I, I, Magic I, I, I think everybody, nine. every team that LeBron plays on has another guy that you could conceivably say is the point guard. When Magic was playing, I mean, he, he ran Norm Nixon out of town because you could conceivably say Norm Nixon was a point guard. Magic was playing with Kareem and James Worthy. I mean, there nobody else on the team could have been arguably been considered to be that that role or mm-hmm. that position on the floor. So there's a little bit of difference there. But body type and role on the team, and I mean, I, I think it's a thousand percent accurate to say that. The second thing that jumps out to me about the first team All NBA is we all knew all year long that your MB, MVP vote was basically going to come down to Giannis, Nikola Jokic, and Joel Embiid. Those guys were the three top vote getters for the NBA MVP. But Joel Embiid is not able to be first-team All-NBA because Joel Embiid is a center, and Nikola Jokic is a center, and you can't have both of them on first-team All-NBA. So Joel Embiid is second-team All-NBA despite the fact that he was, I think in some people's opinions, robbed of an MVP. That he should have won the the, the award, and he is second-team All-League. And by the way, John Morant, Kevin Durant, and Steph Curry are all second-team NBA. I I thought about this when the teams came out, and I'm sorry to do this in the last minute. Would the second team All NBA beat the first team All NBA in a five on five game? It would at least be damn close. It'd be a fascinating watch, and I would say if Kevin Durant's healthy, they'd kick their ass. <laughs> See, that's the that's the thing. Like, I, was like, the sec- I would pick the second team I would All take NBA. The second team. Yeah, I, I think if Durant and Curry are healthy, I would take the second team. I think that is a fair statement to make, to be sure. We got to get to another Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. We will come back at the top of the hour. We'll get a quick reset on our Twitter poll questions. And we'll see how the Reds are doing. They were having them a day today. Check in on that and other things baseball-related at the top of the hour on Cooking the Monster here on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. And hour number two straight ahead here on Cookie and the Monster. Thanks for joining us. However you're choosing to do so, we do appreciate it. Top of hour number two means it is time to get back to and revisit so we can reset our VonsJewelry.com Twitter poll questions. Three questions at 931 The Fan on Twitter that we want your thoughts, feelings, reactions on. You can vote until 545. First, Von's Diamonds and Jewelry.com. Von's Diamonds and Jewelry bringing you today's poll questions. It's where Lima celebrates love online at Von'sJewelry.com. First question Which Ohio State start time announced today is the most interesting? Our Kansas State, noon, Toledo at 7, Rutgers at 3.30. 92% say Toledo at 7 o'clock. Probably not thrilled about it either, to be honest with you. Hmm. They want to play big games at 
<laughs> play big games at night and crap games at noon. Instead, they get big games at noon and crap games at night. Uh, we're also asking, should colleges have more say in start times of their football schedules? 76% say, yeah. Yeah, they should. And our final MontageJewelry.com poll question, which is the better Ray Liotta movie? Goodfellas, Field of Dreams, 63% say Goodfellas. I'm a little surprised. I, I know. Yeah, that's surprising. I just know it's so people, iconic the other way. Like I know people love Field of Dreams, and I, I had this conversation on the air one time with Katie Gohuli that like Field of Dreams is um, like people who have daddy issues just love Field of Dreams because my god, my dad didn't have the ability to tell me he loved me, but damn it, we watched Field of Dreams together. Um, <laughs> where Goodfellas is just a good movie. Like Goodfellas, is just it's it's well made cinema. I, I that's absolutely an act apt description of what Goodfellas is. Well-made cinema. Is it? I think... And gratuitous sex and violence, so it's a home run. Oh. <laughs> I, I, one of my favorite <laughs> movie moments ever is the, can I have some money? I want to go shopping. How much do you need? And she gives the like two-inch two inch yeah, finger she, gap instead of yeah. instead of a dollar amount about this much. Yeah. I think that's outstanding. That I think it, and also, I'm, I'm trying to find the IMDB top 250, but I believe Goodfellas is like number two Holy smoke. Number three on best movies ever. And I I'm I'm I can get on board with that. I man, that's that's a stretch for me, but I'm I'm a pretty narrow minded human sometimes. Uh Goodfellas is seventeenth. Seventeenth, <laughs> okay. 17th. It's top twenty, that that's there are some movies. Can't above, there are that. some movies above this that should not. Be should there. not be. <laughs> That's a topic for a, like a mid-July conversation. Let's file that one away. We can get there because we we we're, there. There are there are sports talk programs, and then there are sports and talk <laughs> yeah, programs. Yes, we need to do some sports and talking when we when the calendar gets to a certain point. But we'll stick with sports talk for for the rest of this segment at a minimum. Because I don't know, is Pulp Fiction better than Goodfellas? I don't know. Uh Pulp Fiction is, it's the equivalent to me of beer, coffee. It, it is an acquired taste. And I sure. I, I think, I, I have a brother who is a little bit of a contrarian thinker anyway, and, and he started talking about Pulp Fiction when it first came out, about what an amazing movie it was. And I got to be honest, trying to watch it the first time through was like I, I needed to be strapped to my chair because there and then when I was told, I didn't have to, I was told that when Tarantino made that movie, like he actually filmed the movie and then he went through and just cut the the the, video, the film, the film right, right. and then spliced it back together randomly, and that's what you got. If you've ever seen the way the movie yeah. unfolds, that he literally cut the film in several spots and then spliced it back together randomly. Said so there it is, which is the most Tarantino thing ever. That guy's got all kind of issues. Yeah, but. The more I watched it, the more it grew on me. And, and I'm here to tell you, in American cinematic history, there's not a better character than what Samuel L. Jackson plays in that movie. I, Samuel L. Jackson is... Is it... Was it Jules? Yeah. Jules was... There was a stretch of time late in my college <laughs> experience when Jules would have been the guy that I would have said, I, what would Jules do right now? <laughs> <laughs> Jules would, how Jules how would, would Jules do? respond to this whole scenario? Because... At a minimum, it would entertain people, <laughs> and at a maximum, I might get you know I, I may come out really on top. <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> oh, Cincinnati Reds got a twenty. He said twenty to five win over the Chicago Cubs today to improve to fourteen and thirty. <laughs> 
They oh, had, when you say it like that. They, well, listen, I got some numbers for you, so hush up. They got they got 20 runs on 20 hits. They gave up five runs on eight hits. Hunter Green is now two and six. Turns out you only got to score three touchdowns, and Hunter's got a shot to get the win. No, I'm, that's mean to Hunter. Have you watched him lately? His slider's sick nasty. The young man is improving with every start. He just is going to make one or two mistakes in every outing that if he, that they're going to be costly. And if he doesn't walk a bunch of people, he might still be able to survive that. He missed out on a win opportunity when he gave up no hits, and, and they, they lost. And he missed out in his last outing on what was a great win opportunity. Just one bad pitch landed in the seats, and then uh, he, he left trailing by a run and then the you know bullpen didn't hold up or what they weren't able to get over them. he he couldn't get a win he's 2 and 6 his ERA look it's down to 589 it take that for what it's worth but exactly 3 weeks ago on this program Garrett and I'm just saying this to give you some context it's it's easy to say the Reds have clearly been playing better baseball mm-hmm. that that's that's yeah. very clear they've been playing much better baseball what are they up to now they've won have they won 12 out of 16 uh, they had no, lost they four let, or five before today, or before yesterday. They lost four or five. Well, th- uh, on May 5th, that's three weeks ago today, the la- on our May 5th show, I-, I did a comparison of the last place teams in baseball, because the records of the last place teams in baseball at that time on May 5th were in, in order, now not... I'm not specifying any teams, but the last place teams in baseball had records that read 13 and 13, 10 and 15, 9 and 16, 9, 8 and 15, and the Reds were 3 and 21. So they are now 14 and 30. Again, not a great mathematician, but I think, I think that means that they've won, what, 11 games in their last. What are they up to? 40, in their last 20 games? 20. They're, they're, 11, and nine. they're 11 and 9 in their last 20. So it's easy to say mathematically that's an improvement. But it's also timely in terms of how it's happened because when you look at the records of last place teams in baseball today, they are, again, in order, 20 and 23, 18 and 27, 18 and 27, 15 and 30, and 14 and 28. So that means that there is a team in last place that has the exact same number of wins as the Reds. There is another team in last place that has a matching number of losses and only one more win. There's a half-game difference. Back on May 5th, the Reds trailed the other last-place teams in baseball by 10 wins, 7 wins, 6 wins, 6 wins, and 5 wins. Three weeks later, they trail the last-place teams in baseball by 6 wins, 4 wins, 4 wins, 1 win, and 0. They are even in the win column. I don't know that 11-9 is spectacular. I have no idea what it means for the Reds in their season. My, my 112 loss prediction, I feel very comfortable with right now. In fact, I think I think the I, I think I may be exactly right when this is all said and done. So we will see. But it's going to be one of those conversations potentially, Garrett, that we have where we say to ourselves, "Boy, if they just hadn't had that horrific well, start." And I, that, I was sitting here thinking, are, "What's more likely on October 5th?" That we look back and go, man, if only they hadn't started three and twenty-two. Or remember when they were in that stretch of twenty games where they went eleven and nine there right before Memorial Day. Yeah. <laughs> Which one is more likely that it, that it is the high point of the season or one of the high points of the season? Where remember when they went eleven and nine in that twenty-game stretch and they just beat the tar out of the Cubs? 
Or, man, if only they hadn't started three and twenty-two. I don't know. I don't know which one's more likely. The Guardians sit at eighteen and twenty-two. Yep. Took them forty games to lose the number of games that it took the Reds twenty-five <laughs> games to lose. Just, just so that you understand that. But they are eighteen and twenty-two, while the Reds sit at fourteen and thirty. I don't know mathematically what that difference is. Is that five and a half, six and a half games? I don't know what that is. Because there's such Four a, and a half, there's, there's yeah. a variation. I, I, I want to. So here we sit on May 26th. We'll call it Memorial Day. We'll, we'll check it out at Memorial Day. But if they're four and a half to five games behind the Indians record-wise on Memorial Day, Guardians. I, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. No. Uh, guard Indians. That's what I, I committed myself to that, and then I got soft. I'm asking you if they're four and a half to five games behind the Guardians on Memorial Day. Do they get by the end of the season? I'm going to say if we set the 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 gap at five and a half, are you saying they're inside of five and a half in the record co- column, or they're or they're they're further back than five nah, and a half? I, I I would think that the Guardians are at worst. A 90-loss team? At worst? At worst, a 90-loss team. I would say at best, the Reds are at a 90-loss team. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I think that's probably I a fair statement. I, I, if you were to look at it another way, if I had told Reds fans on opening day that at Memorial Day, you're within four games of the Guardians, record-wise... Probably, yeah. probably look at that positively, right? If I told you on May six when you're three and twenty two, that at Memorial Day you're within four games, five games of the Guardians record wise, you jump for joy. Probably. I don't watch the Guardians closely, and I have watched the Reds more closely this year than and in recent years. I and I don't watch the Guardians closely, and probably I should. But the question I have about the Guardians when I at least when I hear people talk about them and I do listen, is it feels like at times people act like that. Ramirez, Jose Ramirez, that's it. I mean, offensively, yes. that's it. That's. Yeah. I don't feel that way about the Reds. I think there's a lineup there that could be potentially fairly consistently good. Good enough, at least. I know I hammer the run differential stat because I do think it tells you a lot about a team. Right now, the Indians are in third place. The two teams behind them in fourth and fifth are minus 48 and minus 62 in the run differential. The team one spot ahead of them, the White Sox, is minus 33 in run differential. The Guardians are plus five. I think the Guardians are probably a little better than we think, even. But I, I just, I don't know what I've seen from the Reds lately makes me think that if you said five and a half is the number, I'm going to say the Reds may get inside of that. Think so? By the end of the year, maybe if things go well. Now, still, I'm the guy that said they'd lose 112, and I think they probably are going to. But there's something brewing down there in the Queen City. It's, it's doing all right. It's. Not- I, I actually might be interested when they play in the Field of Dreams. I might, I might want to take a might, look. Might watch. Particularly now because it's going to be the Cubbies. And hey, you just they saw just, what they that looked like. Tw- a 20 spot on the Cubbies. we got to do a Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. We're going to step aside, come back, and get to back for football at 515. Right here on Lima Sports Radio, 93 won the fan. Back here inside the basement doctor studio where it's time for football at 515. And Service Master Richard Service welcomes you to football at 515. Hard work, determination, and sportsmanship create opportunities to be your best. Like Bear Bryant said, it's not the will to win, but it's the will to prepare to win that makes a difference. And that's why it's Service Master. They don't cut corners. They clean them. A report today from 
Jonathan M. Alexander of the Charlotte Observer says, the Carolina Panthers and Cleveland Browns, while working on a trade for Baker Mayfield, the Panthers expected the Browns to pay between $13 million and $14 million of Baker Mayfield's salary. Browns balked at that, and the Carolina Panthers drafted Matt Corral instead. Is that? Are you asking too much? If you're the Carolina Panthers, there, you asking too much to complete that trade. The Browns clearly said, "Yeah." I wonder. Uh, I, I want to know what the offer was. In like, if the Panthers were like, "I'll give you a third round pick," I can't believe it'd be that high. Give you a fifth round pick for Baker Mayfield, and you eat fourteen million dollars. Does that feel like almost a disrespectful offer to the Browns? I suppose likely that it does. I, I'm trying to process the Panthers asking the Browns to pay 13 to 14. What what is his salary? To 18 18.8 million dollars. 18.8. What we can't know is where the Browns were in their process, and and what they felt about their possibility of signing Deshaun Watson at the time that they were in those trading. I guess we can't really know exactly where they were in that. But it, it almost, I mean, I, I'm this math makes it too simple, but what the hell. It's you, me, and we're pretty simple. If you would have gone to Deshaun Watson with, we're going to pay you $212 million over the life of your contract, and that 18 mil that we're not giving you, we're going to use that to pay 13 to 14 million of Baker Mayfield's contract and soften the blow right. of all of this just a touch <laughs> with what we could that have could that have worked? I don't think so. You think Watson's all the way out if it's 212? Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, I do. I think I I want to know, did the Houston Texans flat out refuse Baker Mayfield? Because you you have to move him in the trade for Deshaun Watson. I, well, I would, that's, I, to me it was a You have certainty. to, like, I, I don't care if the Browns have to include more draft picks or eat more Baker salary. I don't know, and I don't, I don't care. Either they didn't offer him to the Houston Texans, or the Texans flat out said, I have no interest in receiving Baker Mayfield in return for Deshaun Watson. I would rather get nothing than receive Baker Mayfield as part of the package. That feels pretty cut and dry to me. And and I think it's that public perception then that drives the I don't know if it's a narrative. It drives the maybe the the reality that I don't if that if that's where Houston was, then there is no market for Baker Mayfield. I, I would tend to agree with you. There's no discernible market, and now I'm you read reports here in the last couple of days of the Browns have tried to make it public that they're willing to quote unquote sweeten the pot and and, and, and increase what they're willing to offer to get a trade done to get rid of Baker Mayfield, and I, I don't I don't know that that's if they're getting that out there, it's because they're trying to create a market for Baker Mayfield. And I I have lots of opinions on Baker Mayfield, and, and I've never been really 
a big I've never been a big Baker fan, but I've never been a Baker hater. I, I, I think my issue with Baker Mayfield is I don't know that I can decide whether he's a franchise quarterback or a serviceable quarterback that's a good bridge guy. And I don't know if Baker Mayfield's 100% sure in his own mind which one he is. Yeah. And I think his psychology is a big part of this. I'm still trying to process. If the Browns had known that this is where they were going to be when it when we got to, to Memorial Day, would they have been willing to say, hey, we, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll 13 mil? Sure. I think so. Sure. <laughs> I feel like it's more likely that they overestimated the market for Baker Mayfield than there is no market for Baker Mayfield. I think there's a market there. I, I just need to see some evidence of it, and, is, and right is, now I don't see any evidence the, of that. But, but, I, but I think there's not, he's not in a situation for it to be advantageous for there to be a market for him. N- nobody wants an $18.8 million either backup quarterback or quote-unquote bridge quarterback I can't I, I can't believe that but if he was cut if he's f- free to whatever terms you can t- agree to and you don't have to trade any draft capital for him damn I hate that term you don't have to trade any it's draft a great picks, term though draft picks for him you don't have to pay him 18 million dollars if you just wait him out is there a market for Baker Mayfield yes I think. And we'll talk about that coming up. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the other side of this, and we're going to get to that for sure in, in the next segment. So let's not, I guess, totally belabor the point. But I'm going to be chewing on for a while that the Browns looked at 13 or $14 million that they would have had to pay, knowing that, yeah. knowing that they were willing to give $230 million to Deshaun Watson and that whole mess that that brings along, and that they would have said, no, we're not willing to do that. Again, I, I would like to be able to definitively say, does that mean they overestimated the market for him, or does that mean they... They just lacked foresight completely. I just because it's one thing to overestimate the market; it's another thing to not have any real belief in what your other moves are going to lead to. I, I the way I understand it, and I it could be horribly off base here, that if they were to cut him, he still counts roughly fourteen million dollars against the salary cap. So don't you take your six round pick and and eat it? Don't you? Don't you? It, it's the most expensive six round pick you're ever going to get. But don't you like? And I don't know what the Panthers offered. the The report from Jonathan M. Alexander from the Charlotte Observer didn't say, "Hey, this was what this is what the trade was." Just that the details were. The Panthers said, "You eat thirteen or fourteen million to the eighteen and a half, eighteen point eight, and you got a deal." And the Browns said, "No." See, now that makes me mad at the Browns because they took off the table an opportunity for somebody in Charlotte in a couple of years when it wasn't working out with Baker Mayfield to deliver the Billy Bean line from Moneyball. You know, when Baker would have said, you know, you need to get me on the field and play me and let me turn it loose because you're paying me $18.5 million to be here, they could have said, no, no, no. We're paying you four. No, we're, we're paying, paying you four million. Four point four. Uh, the Cleveland Browns are paying you $14 million to not play, to play against them. <laughs> True. I love that line from Moneyball, and, and it would have been worked out perfect for, I mean, at least you got that going for you if you're the, in Charlotte, and it doesn't work out. I mean, if the Panthers make that deal and then he can't play. I, we, we're going to revisit it because because we got an, uh, we're, we're I can't believe it's been seventy two days seventy two seventy two days <laughs> that's that that's our little tease it's been seventy two days since the little incident involving Baker Mayfield uh, kind of started this whole can you call it 
I don't merry-go-round. know. Merry-go-round. I, I don't, don't know, know what, what you, you call even it. call this. The ride that we're saga. on as as we watch the saga unfold in Cleveland. We'll we'll revisit Baker's. Do you remember the goodbye tweet? Goodbye message. <laughs> yeah, let's we'll, we'll revisit that after this Don Jacobs Jeweler timeout on Lima Sports Radio ninety three one The Fan. Back here inside the basement, Doctor Studio, John Cook, Garrett Seawright with you, Cookie and the Monster here on Lima Sports Radio. 93-1 the fan, and before we went to the break, we were talking about the Panthers allegedly asking the Browns to pay 13 to $14 million of Baker Mayfield's contract if they were to accept Baker Mayfield in a trade earlier in this offseason. And speaking of earlier in this offseason, Garrett reminded me when I got here today that it has been 72 days since Baker tweeted goodbye, his goodbye message, to the fans of Cleveland. Remember that? Well, you know, it was it was arguable. We talked that week, I believe. Of, yes, we did. It was the week of the state tournament, by the way, <laughs> uh, of this is a goodbye message, right? And then the next day it was, you know, Baker Mayfield has requested a trade from the Cleveland Browns, and then they traded for Deshaun Watson. So for a, for a hot sec there, it didn't look it didn't look pretty on on March 15th, where reportedly they were out of the running for Deshaun Watson, and Baker Mayfield said, Peace. I ain't doing this. Um, it's been seventy-two days, and I don't. I don't know what options are still available. And, and I was just getting ready to say it's 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 been seventy-two days, and it's had to have been seventy-two of the least eventful, most gut-wrenching days of Baker Mayfield's existence. Yeah, fair. And I feel like. Again, just a thirty thousand foot view with no knowledge of the of the inner workings of why why things were done when they were done. But I felt like at the time that Baker was pretty confident that the Browns weren't going to get Deshaun and he was going to flip him the bird and ride off into the sunset. And as soon as he sends that, it, it, things kind of flipped the other way. And I'm thinking, and I said at the time, I, I just wish that I, I may not have said verbatim this, but when we talked about it on the show, my statement was the real way to demonstrate your maturity and to prove to people that you are what you've been claiming to be, this guy that's got an, had an epiphany and really grown, and is, is you don't say anything. You quietly just don't say a word through any of this. And you let it play out, and then you are prepared to respond rather than... It was almost like he wanted to get in front of all of it and, and behaved as though he could dictate the terms when that wasn't going to happen. And now we sit here 72 days later, which is, again, just a staggering number to me, that he's still here, obviously didn't attend OTAs. Nope. Believe it or not. And we spent some time talking about the Carolina Panthers, but what options are there is a legitimate question because, Garrett, in the NFL, if you had to get a list of teams in front of you and circle the teams on the list that would be conceivably a landing spot for Baker Mayfield. How many teams will you circle? I don't think you'll get to five. I was going to say four would be my right off the top of my head. Okay, four. And so, I mean, where where could you could see? Because there's only one that I think I legitimately feel like would make sense, and I hadn't thought about it till within the last couple of days. Um, and really, it was solidified by reading through the list of teams a little more closely. How, give me the teams you think he might be a, a, be able to find a landing spot with. Is your team the same team as mine? Because I thought in the last day or so. I don't. Think, I don't does, think mine probably is. Does it make sense for the Miami Dolphins to to kick the tires on Baker Mayfield? And you're saying that because because Tua Tagovailoa sucks. 
Okay, well, I, I have a... And, di- and they've got a team around in Miami that could be a playoff team. The, the Miami Dolphins are the Cleveland Browns South. They've got talent at a lot of positions, and their quarterback is dreadful. Okay. I think we... There would be those who would argue we don't know exactly what he is or isn't yet. And I would I say that I, I, it probably is, but it's still earlier than it is for the guy I'm thinking. Because I was looking at starting quarterbacks, and if I knew the starting quarterback in a situation, where are the places that it might make sense for him to land based on who the current starting quarterback is? That's why I think that Carolina made sense. All right, Carolina and Seattle made sense. He'd have sense. to go compete with Sam Darnold. Seattle was a team, but I thought, I don't think Pete Carroll wants to mess with that. I, uh, now, no, they've got... Seattle's set. Right, they're set now. But I still look at Daniel Jones in New York. Yep. Is not a guy anybody feels great about. Nope. So you'd have to go there and compete with that guy. And then the guy that, that takes the cake for me, because I think there's so much similarity between these two guys, is Jameis Winston in New Orleans. Jameis Winston in New Orleans, Heisman Trophy winning quarterback who has not succeeded. Went number one overall. Has not succeeded as a starter and has had to, has had to accept being a backup in order to have a job. When you have the size of personality that Jameis Winston has, that is a monstrous task to undertake, and he demonstrated that he could do it and it appeared to have done it fairly well. It's exactly what Baker Mayfield needs to do. Baker Mayfield needs to demonstrate that he is willing to get show up, go to work, and if necessary, be a backup and fight for a job. And why not? Why would it not be at least feasible for him to be in the... If you put two guys in a very similar situation together and make them compete, you might not think you've got a great answer. But Baker Mayfield hasn't demonstrated that he has the ability... <laughs> To be, to be willing to be a backup and fight for a job, his personality well, is bigger than his on-field performance. Well, that was my rebuttal was going to be, do you think he has the ability to shut up, go to work, and do your job? Because I, I, don't, I don't know. My take on that is he does if you tell him he's a starter. True. And that's the part that hurts me for Baker Mayfield because he needs to shut up and go to work no matter what did you, did you and I'm not a big Marcellus Wiley fan but did you hear the comment he made I think it was yesterday maybe the, maybe the day before Marcellus Wiley said he's broadcasting the signal to every other team out there that his future employers who, who are his future employers that he still doesn't get it he said this is a moment Baker when you show up in class no matter how smart you are and you give the teacher an apple well true <laughs> and, yeah I mean that's it's really what makes Baker interesting is it is the chip on the shoulder. Nobody believes in me. I've, I've overcome the odds so many times by betting on myself. That mindset then evolved into I'm a guy with all kinds of marketing deals and television commercials and I'm, I'm the face of a franchise who through limited fault of his own falls on his face. He needs to revert back to that guy that, that, that he was at Texas Tech. He needs to find that part of his personality and realize that, yes, this isn't what I want. But for a lot of us, Garrett, life happens to us. Yes. And then we have to make something out of it. We don't always go make things happen because life happened to Baker Mayfield last year in a whole bunch of ways. And he has an opportunity if he takes the right approach we don't know how long it's going to take. We don't know what might come of it, but he's got to go fight for an opportunity. And right now, he wants to just fight for a for a hand delivered position. And I, I use "fight" in air quotes. He doesn't want to fight for it. He wants to be told, "Here's your job. Now prove it to me." But I'll give you the job first. It's not going to work that way. I think Baker Mayfield almost wants to fight just to fight. 
I wish he'd show some some legitimate fight though in a in a in a in a driven focused right. gr- channel that type, energy yeah. rather than just like you can you can be mad, you can be angry, you can be pissed off and feel disrespected and have that chip on your shoulder. But if there's no action behind it, you're just a miserable son of a bee sitting on a couch going this sucks, my situation sucks, it's not fair, etc. You got to rise above that. And, and I, th- 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 that's easier said than done, and I 100% recognize that. But you got to channel that energy somewhere other than just being mad. I, no question. And what happens to the trade market for Baker Mayfield? In your opinion, what happens to the trade market for Baker Mayfield if he shows up, if he had showed up at OTAs and made a couple public statements about, hey, I don't like where we are, but this is where I am, and I've got to get back to work? I think I I don't think it helps. Really? Yeah, because I think when when the knock on you one of the knocks on you is you lack situational and self-awareness, you can't show up to the facility. You can tweet videos of you working out or whatever and saying doing pretty much the exact opposite of what you're doing, you can't go to the facility and show up to OTAs. Because that to, to NFL teams, like, that that to me would be the biggest signal of, oh, you really still don't get it. Because that would, to, to me, that's a show about you. That's to show it's more self-centered, more self-serving, more narcissistic of, this is about me, and be sure to remember that this is about me in my eyes. Well, I, and, I, and I think that's a valid interpretation of what it could be perceived as. I think he has the t- opportunity to c- change that narrative by how he presents himself when he shows up. I don't know what messages he is sending to any potential employer by how he's handled things for the last 72 days. And I don't know that going to None OTAs... Of it's good. I don't know that going to OTAs would have changed it, but he would have given himself the opportunity to at least publicly state... Because he can't publicly state now, hey, people, I'm ready to get to work. I've had my teeth kicked in, and right. I just got to buckle down. Because there's nothing to buckle down for if you don't show up. If you go show up at those OTAs and you do the teamwork, and, and, and everybody else wants to talk about the fact that Deshaun Watson's taking the offense and going to, to do some team building, but you're here getting your, getting your bleep together and getting your work in... Aren't you sending some message to a potential employer? And maybe, because, I, again, I go back to the Jameis Winston example. There are a zillion different examples of guys who got drafted high and had monster personalities, and when it didn't work for them, they could go the route of Johnny Manziel, or they could go the route of Jameis Winston. And Baker Mayfield needs to go the Jameis Winston route, and I don't know how he's supposed to demonstrate that he is interested in that or capable of that by not taking the first step himself. Nobody's going to hand-deliver him an opportunity to prove he's Jameis Winston. Right. He's going to have to go create that opportunity, and OTAs was a chance to do that. I don't. I, I, I think OTAs is a like, non-starter because I don't think... I think your your team has moved on, but I, I think your teammates have moved on. They, they know that you're being kind of a distraction at that point, too. And if... If... That's one of the knocks on you. I don't. I, I don't know. What's the that chances? It helps. That, what's the chances if he goes there and shows up? The Browns say, "Hey, we appreciate you coming, but we really don't want you here." Hi, and even from just a uh, trade value aspect, I can't have you taking snaps. You snap an Achilles, and then I'm definitely on the hook for eighteen million dollars this year with nothing in return. 
I, I can't take that chance. I, I, as a person, I could care less whether or not Baker Mayfield plays another down in the NFL or not. Yeah. But a, a, as a as a guy who is a fan of a good story, I do want the guy to have a have a chance because I do believe that there is a not insignificant percentage chance here that what we saw from him before last season, what springboarded all that optimism in August of 2021, there's a, there's a chance that he finds that again. There's a, certainly a possibility for a redemption arc somewhere in his in his career, where in 2032 we look at him much differently than we did in 2022. But the only person who can change that is him. At some point, you're going. He's going to have an opportunity again in the NFL somewhere, whether it be as a backup, bridge starter. I don't. He's going to have another opportunity, and I think you're right that there are a lot of parallels between him and Jameis Winston, Heisman Trophy winner that went first overall, got dispatched from their quarterback position because Jameis Winston got dumped because Tom Brady became available and liked what he saw in Tampa Bay. Baker Mayfield became expendable because Deshaun Watson became available and liked what he saw in Cleveland. Jameis Winston has, I think, somewhat, drastically might be a strong word, but drastically changed the public perception around himself because he went to New Orleans and shut up. Right. (laughs) He he didn't continue to be braggadocious, and and if Baker Mayfield can do that, there is a place for him in the NFL somewhere. Maybe the most surprising part of this whole story then is, and I, I, I created the arc by bringing in Jameis, and I believed in it, but I guess I would say that for me, I find it more surprising that there was a more willing and more ready landing spot for Jameis Winston and all of his personality yeah. and all of the, the you know, what, what came with being who he was. There was more of a market for that than there is for Baker. Because, again, I think the personality things are fairly similar as well from the standpoint of just the enormity of the personality. They are very different personalities in terms of their makeup, but they have enormous presences and personalities, each of them, because of all that comes with who they are and what they've achieved and the expectations that they created. Yet, again, there appears to be zero market. Now, is it zero market because the Browns have no leverage at all and everybody knows it? Or is there legitimately not a market for Baker Mayfield because people look at Baker Mayfield and say, as an example, Jameis was worth the risk. You're not? I think with Jameis Winston, there were smaller fixes because as he went further into his NFL career in Tampa Bay, you didn't see the just flat-out immaturity as much. You know, there was the whole, like, we're going to eat a dub. That was weird, but it wasn't immature. And and he threw for a bunch of yards and threw for a bunch of touchdowns. And a threw, bunch of picks. Threw for a bunch of interceptions. So basically, the New Orleans Saints say, if we can if we can train you to stop making really stupid decisions, you can be a serviceable starter in the NFL. With Baker Mayfield, I, I think there's there's more imperfections of I'm not certain what you are. I'm not certain what you are off the field. I'm not certain what you are on the field. Coming into the NFL, everybody talked about how at Oklahoma you were so beloved, and then once you got to your final season in Cleveland, you had teammates liking Instagram posts from another teammate's dad saying, you suck. There's more at play there, I think. With Jameis, it was a slight, hey, if I can train you to stop just making dumb decisions with the football, you can be pretty good. It, I think there's more to it with that. Well, with it, it is interesting, though. I mean, I've talked a lot about the, the lack of teammate support for Baker as well, but just yesterday, Nick Chubb was quoted as speaking very strongly. I mean, he, he 
here's the quote. He'll still always be one of my best friends. He's a great guy. I know with his intensity and his attitude, wherever he lands, he'll be ready. And that's Nick Chubb. That, that's a, a pretty reputable starting point in the Browns locker room when I wasn't sure there was any of that well, there. I, was, I, the, I guess the, the rebuttal to that is it's been 72 days since Baker said goodbye to Cleveland, and it's been uh, 115 days since the season ended. You know, I... Yeah, been plenty true. of plenty of opportunities for other folks to come out and you get to Memorial Day before somebody says, you know what, not a bad dude. Ah, it's it's tough to, to well, fathom. I'll, I'll be the voice pushing. I, I want to see him get to New Orleans and fight for that job because I think there's another team that's that's kind of built to win right now. I, I to me is is Arizona sitting in their offices going, hey, does um. Does if so? Kyler Murray's holding out right now. God, that's just delicious. Cliff Kingsbury and does, Baker Mayfield. Uh. Does, does Baker Mayfield give us a better chance to to continue our playoff hunt than Colt McCoy? I would think so. And they probably don't have the salary cap room to do it. So do you say to the Cleveland Browns, "I'll give you a fourth round pick, and you eat fourteen million dollars, and I'll do it"? Because I don't, I don't know what the end game is here for. For Cleveland, I don't, I don't know. I would love to know what they think it is. I, I think it'd be a fascinating deal. It's been seventy-two days. Here's what I feel confident in: it won't be another seventy-two before we get some news on what positions are and maybe see those things come to fruition. Right now, the question was: it's been seventy-two days. He's still here. What are the options? We don't know. It won't be another seventy-two days before we don't have a pretty clear picture of what the options are, and I look forward to that being resolved hopefully soon. Got to get to another Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. We come back. It'll be time for poll results and for water cooler conversation. Here on Cookie and the Monster, Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Back a final time inside the Basement Doctor Studio. Thank you for joining Garrett and I today. Been a quick show. Yeah. Gone fast. Lots to talk about. And it's time to get back to our VonsJewelry.com Twitter poll final results. Yes, sir. Brought to you by Vons Diamonds and Jewelry, where Lima celebrates love online at VonsJewelry.com. We're asking, or we asked, which Ohio State start time announced today is the most interesting. 91% say the Toledo game starts at 7 o'clock. We also asked, should colleges have more say in the start times of their football schedules? 74% say yes in the final. VonsJewelry.com Twitter poll question, which is the better Ray Liotta movie, Goodfellas or, Goodfellas or Field of Dreams? 68.6% say Goodfellas. They're right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised at the number, but they're right. Got anything for the water cooler today? So, a lot of movie talk today. Uh, <laughs> Top Gun Maverick comes out. And there are like reputable film people who are saying, you know what, this doesn't suck. And I'm shocked as hell by that. Like, I thought when I saw the preview, I was like, oh, so that will be terrible and will make a billion dollars at the box office. Yeah. But there, there are legitimate movie critics who are like, you know what, ain't bad. And, and you know, it's funny because there are a, a handful, small handful, maybe half a handful of iconic movies that I just didn't like. Top Gun is in Top Gun is. I didn't hate it, but I don't. I I could take it or leave it. If you told me halfway through you got to stop watching this, it wouldn't have upset me in any way. <laughs> I, I, Dirty Dancing is another. It's, that's awful. Oh. That's, I'm oh. I'm tired of being told uh. what a what a what a communist I am. That's that movie's terrible. I saw a great TikTok over the weekend of uh, Patrick Swayze's final dance scene from um, Dirty Dancing, but it's set to the Muppets theme song. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's fantastic. It's hilarious. I'll take it. But but you know, and, and that Top Gun Maverick one, it, it's on over in Ada, close to, to where I live. And my wife seems to be interested in the movie. And I'm like, well, well Tom, then let's go see it. Tom Cruise doing all right still. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Some I, sort of vampire. I don't care man. what starts the motor. <laughs> 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 I care how the grill, rails get greased. Long, <laughs> long, long as I get to be the one that pulls the car in the garage, we're I, good. I get it. I get it. But there, I'm, I'm surprised that there are people who are like, no, no, this is this is better. One, it's better than the original, but it's actually pretty good. Jake Paul. I saw. <laughs> YouTube star turned prize fighter wants to fight Glenn. Big Baby Davis, sometime in August. Don't we all? <laughs> Big Baby Davis is 36, played in the NBA for nine seasons. Last year was the 2014-15 season with the Clippers. He weighs over 300 pounds. That's I would watch that one, and I can't. I don't want to watch Jake Paul fight. But after he knocked out Nate Robinson, I, I want to see him fight. I want to see him fight Big Baby. And at, at minimum, I would talk about it at the office the next day, no question whatsoever. Thanks for joining us for today's program. One more to go this week. We're back at four o'clock tomorrow. Join us again right here, same bat time, same bat channel on Lima Sports Radio, ninety-three one. The fan.